Hey everyone, happy to have you here for another episode of Legacy Matters. Today, as usual, we will talk about whatever comes up with a slight leaning toward discussions of preserving your legacy, preparing for things to come, and sharing stories we find amusing. Uh, a Yeti cooler. Yeah, is that a Yeti cup? It's a Yeti cup. Yeah, yeah. It's a gift given to me. But <laughs> yeah, uh, Sam gets all the fancy stuff. <laughs> I guess I pay the what bills. Didn't, oh, that was yeah, but from yeah, I mean, you did the work, but yeah, I, I did but the, the work. check comes from me, so the so the swag gifts go. I mean, it's got uh, my name on it. That's Sam Devine. Ah, yeah. nice. Yeah, uh, we did start recording a little bit ago. You too. All, all right. right. Well, yeah, I like to sneak, welcome. I like Here to sneak we are. people sneaky, in. Sneaky. Yeah, it it throws people off a little bit, but I like it. All right. Um, well, we've got a guest today, Jim. I'm gonna let you take it. Chris Atkins, Christopher Atkins is here. Yeah. Christopher, Glad, welcome. Thanks so much. Glad to be Chris here, or guys. Christopher. I prefer Christopher, but Chris works just fine. Yeah. Okay. Christopher. Yeah. yeah. Well, welcome. It's a Wednesday morning, <laughs> bright and sunny. <laughs> I was waiting for the weather report, Jim. <laughs> you know. I just like to talk about the weather because we're Midwesterns, you know. But it is Midwesterns. Just beautiful like, today. <laughs> is it Midwestern or is it North? I've heard a lot of the conversation. Oh, upper now, Midwestern. Upper Midwestern now. Yeah, yeah, but it's kind of branded North. It's become a brand. Yeah. Oh yeah, so, that's right. So let's. I'll go with North. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. How, about, how's the weather up here in the North, Jim? It's like can we get a report? Sixty-seven degrees out <laughs> and bright, sunny today. There you um, go. Everything's green finally. Blue skies. It's a little bit like the Simpson skies, mm. you know, with the fluffy clouds. Just a little cloud every now and again. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's really nice out. I I couldn't agree more. It's beautiful out there. Yeah. I'm, I'm There's working the weather for the weekend. From the other end right of the table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it is a whatever day it is in the morning-ish yep. at this point, before noon, anyway. Before noon, yeah. And uh, Chris, you're a Christopher. You're in here. Uh, so I have an older brother named Chris, mm. but it's Christopher as well, but he goes by Chris, so it's... Uh, yeah. Is he a CH or a KR? Oh, no, he's a CH. CH, yeah. same. Yeah. Same. Yep. Uh, so you two have known each other quite a while, right? Yeah. We have, yeah. We, we work together, actually. Yeah. Well, Chris helped me... At the Minneapolis Institute of Arts, at the MAP right. show, is where we met. That was 2014? Yep, That's 2014. Right. So, And Jim is someone who, uh, whose name and kind of reputation I had heard about before we started working on this exhibition. So uh, when his proposal was accepted, it was really nice to be able to look forward to that year or so that we worked together on that project. Yeah, yeah. that was a great... So like the, the better part of his reputation yeah. is what you're talking about. Hopefully. Okay. Yeah, there's because we know we know he's got multiple <laughs> reputations around town, I would say. It was his artistic career reputation yeah. that I was you. responding Thank to. You, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, that's, yes. <laughs> and that's the good one. Right. That's that the is good the good one. one. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, so that was your was that your second showing? Is that the one I saw? Mm-hmm. Yep. Because yeah. I'm super old, so I had one hundred years ago back in 2000 so <laughs> that your first one was in 2000 yeah Got 2000 yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. yeah that's almost 20 years ago yeah and i didn't wow. know, really know what i was doing at either one of them yeah so well, it could have fooled me with the one that we worked on we had a yeah lot of good that one was a little bit more it was a little bit more 
I think, dialed in. Right. So I mean, all these these projects always go through a couple different plan A, plan B, plan Cs, and by right. the time it arrives, it's it feels good, but sometimes it's very different than how yeah. those original conversations started. And that was, yeah, it was, sure. uh, I mean, you were an essential part of that hmm. show for me, because yeah. you kind of, I mean, you really helped facilitate it, you kind of directed you know, sort of the vision, and, and, you know, we were able to execute it in the museum, too. Yeah, for those of you who didn't see James's uh, piece, um, it it was a massive hole cut into one of the gallery walls yeah. uh, on the second floor of, of Mia. It was 10 by 20 feet? Uh, 8 by 18. 8 by I 18. So roughly the yeah. dimensions of a, of a cinema screen. Yep, that's correct. But yeah. cutting into that wall, cutting through sheetrock lath trying to avoid the uh the struts and the uh the the wall supports the support yeah the studs that were in there was a a pain i think we did good with um controlling the dust yeah i think we only set off the fire alarm once right yep (laughs) yep that was that was exactly right yeah i mean that was i i don't think i don't think uh anyone quite anticipated the amount of dust that was gonna be well i was i did up, see the so. show mm-hmm. and uh so that's a commercial building so it's got a different kind of structure to it so it had metal studs mm-hmm. which you're you're not supposed to once the wall's up you're not supposed to take it apart like that that's just not the way it works right right but it also had uh it looked to me like it had two layers of five ace sheetrock it was it was a Thick, thick, thick wall, thick and then wall. Um, I think three-quarter inch uh, plywood too. Yep. Behind, yeah. So yeah, I mean that was a, it was it was a thick wall. I know that it was really thick. And this is one of those moments where art is as much about what the artist. And you did show some of your your wall pieces. And your, I did. Your paintings yeah, I had some you. paintings and then some other uh, pieces, sort of but, spray paint on plastic and things like that. But this is one of those moments where it was not just you and I talking through crazy ideas and figuring it out. Right. You know, talking with the facilities people, talking with the security folks, talking with all the other departments that were in uh, part of the museum. Uh, I can imagine, yeah. Yeah, it was a complex thing in spite of how simple it looked. I mean, maybe it didn't look simple, but the execution of it. Yeah, I mean, when it was all said and done, it looked, you know, I think it had a surgical quality, which lended itself to sort of a cinema screen. And, you know, the idea was to extract that, large portion and reveal what was underneath the infrastructure what holds the museum together and then take that you know wall and clamp it together and that's a sculpture right yep so um but but yeah it was very surgical because we sam you'll appreciate the fact that we did not we did not even nick the um the steel studs. studs. Yeah, I noticed. Studs, I, yeah. I looked. Oh yeah, I mean, of course. I'm in construction. You know, so I was. He was. I was looking at that thing closely. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah was, that was a nice cut you made. Yeah. Well. Well. Yeah. It was, and then I think did we use a laser to to line it up just right? Uh, you know what we did <clears throat> is we used um, a skill saw, and then we screwed in um, basically a guide, a two by four yep. guide into the wall, and just laid the plunged into the wall then with the skill saw and just yep. ran along the guide which which worked perfect yep you know and just kind of measured kind of classic classic, classic technique yeah but you, I mean, but you did a really nice classic. job of it yeah it was the you know because we're builder dudes i guess yeah. so we were once upon a time right and putting it back together went really well too obviously we had to, to patch up the wall at the end of the show but you know the the folks over there got that 
they put in the uh, the uh, the lath and the um, the sheetrock, but then mudded it and sanded it and made it look as if it had never yeah. been there. Yeah, it looked yeah. really good. Yeah, so, I think yeah. there was there was an effort for the re, you know, putting it back together like the eight foot because then the sheets come in eight foot, you know, yep. four by eights and pop it in there, mm-hmm. tape it and mud it and sand you know it. sand it up. Yeah, they didn't make you do it. Damn no. artists. No. Can you believe it? You Come know, in, I make mean, a mess? Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, made a mess. Oh, all in the yeah. name of art. And then the, then the guy who does drywall work, he's like, oh, I don't, I'm fixing it, but I don't get to be an artist, do I? You know, all angry. <laughs> <laughs> There's a story. Well, when that, when that skill saw did go through all that, I mean, that was, I mean, the amount of dust that was kicked up was, you know. Oh, I've done it. Yeah, I, I, I mean, two, two big things of sheetrock. Plus the plywood, I mean that was yeah the fire yeah. alarm was not was not a good thing <laughs> I no. guess. I think that's just particulates that just got up there and right. Were you nervous, way. Chris, when that was happening? A little bit, yeah, because um, a it's a it's a museum, so you know when you're working at home and you're putting in a new bathroom or putting in some walls downstairs in your basement, that's one thing, right? Yeah, but when you're in a museum with priceless works of art and there's just a gallery to your left and a gallery to your right and a gallery just behind you with those artworks and it's then the stakes are a little bit higher yeah you know uh and that's where it becomes uh not just artist curator staff um but artist curators security fire folks facility folks all making this kind of come together and it's it's really collaborative in that sense right because you're uh, you're really thinking about not just this project but those things that are that a museum is there to, to take care of and preserve for uh, for, for eternity. So, right. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Good point. Good point. Yeah. So, so it was uh, fun. I yeah. It. And, and it's a highlight. <laughs> yeah. That is. Well, I'm glad that that was uh, that I was part of that highlight. That one, anyhow. <laughs> um, how did you? So uh, let's hear about yourself, Chris. Yeah. Oh, sure. How did yeah. you start <laughs> as sure. a curator? Yeah. I um I've had a couple of different roles here in the Twin Cities since I moved here uh, in 2005. I um. Did my undergraduate studies in, in art history, um, very general. You know, I, I had a an early shine to Egyptology. I spent a lot of time looking at um, tomb reliefs and understanding how tomb owners were depicted and were they alive or were they dead? You know, as you know, um, Egyptians spent a lot of time thinking about the life as well as the afterlife and preparing right. for that afterlife. So it's an early fascination of mine. Um, after that, I spent a lot more time focusing on painting, specifically modern painting, um, in my undergraduate studies. And then once I got to graduate school, I really started to focus on contemporary art. I was okay. really interested in um, American as well as uh, European uh, contemporary art. Um, and then all of that towards museums. Um, I, growing up, I always loved museums. I have fond memories of visiting the Art Institute of Chicago with my dad and my mom and seeing the Museum of Contemporary Art in Chicago as well, too. And that sort of really stuck with me as not just what I'm interested in, but how do I turn that interest into a career, into a lifestyle? Right. Yeah, and that's uh, that's a rare thing to be able to do, to, to make something you enjoy a life. I consider a myself career. I consider myself really fortunate for that reason yeah. that um that this thing that sort of started as you know as a kid as a as a thing that I did with my folks has become something that um that's that's my passion that's what I love to do. So Awesome. <clears throat> so when I got to the Twin Cities in 2005 I started working at a now closed uh exhibition space called Franklin Artworks and I was there for a couple years. Um and then worked on a couple of small uh one-person shows. Um 
worked a lot with the administration of the gallery at that point. Um, and then uh, I then moved into teaching. I was uh, an adjunct faculty member, which a lot of people do, mm-hmm. uh, over at the College of Visual Arts, which is now closed, which is over on Summit Avenue. Yep. And then I was at McAllister College and then a couple classes at, uh, at MCAT as well, too. Okay. And that teaching part is something that's never left me either. I mean, that, that ability to sort of connect with students, to take things that, you know, I sort of see myself in, in some students as well, too, as a, as a kid. Being interested in it, but not knowing what exactly can be done with art and how people sort of study it and how it becomes something um, more than just things on the wall. <clears throat> and then, um, Jim, shortly after I was uh, teaching, I started working at MIA for the uh, Minnesota Artist Exhibition Program right. in 2009. And I was there for about six years. Okay. And that, for people who aren't aware, is a uh, pretty unique program that... Uh, as it exists now, but I think back in the 70s when it was originally um, embraced by Mia, was a little bit more common uh, in that it was a, uh, a curatorial program department that focused specifically on local artists. Um, and it's existed since 1975, I think. The okay. year I was born is when it was, um, right. when it was started. And it's gone through permutations and it's changed now and there's new, uh, there's new leadership there. Right. Okay. Um, and then after that, I was at the uh, Minnesota Museum of American Art for close to four years and continuing to work with the museum's collection, one person exhibitions, group shows as well, too. Yeah. So, yeah. so I've kind of bounced. To, I've, been, I've been around. Yeah. <laughs> you have been around. Where'd you go to grad school? I did my graduate studies at Goldsmiths College at the University of London. Okay. Um, it's a. Um, smaller college within, within the larger University of London system, which okay. also includes the Oriental Institute, Birkbeck College, and a couple of other schools. And this focused specifically on the arts, and they had a very famous, uh, well-renowned art school, as well as curatorial, and then my department was visual cultures. So I was there for two years as a student, one year as an employee, and then moved back here in uh, 2005. That is a lot. I could pretend to know something about that, but yeah. I, I think I'd be best off not. Yeah. <laughs> Small and, art colleges and, in London. where is hometown? That's awesome. Yeah. I grew up in the Chicago suburbs. Um, I, yeah. The town I was born was called Wayne, Illinois. Um, okay. And I literally, growing up as a kid, there was a sign uh, as I drove down Army Trail Road into Wayne, Illinois, that said population 500. It was right. a very, very small town in suburban Chicago. Okay. Um, there was a church, there was a school, there was a store, and a post office. Perfect. And, and that so was that's about a town. It. Yeah, that's a town. Right, right? there. Yeah. I mean, you got the, you got to have the stables and the cobbler and the... And the blacksmith and stuff yeah. too. <laughs> you're, you're pretty well, close. That, and yeah. it was it was horse country. There's a lot of horses in yeah. the area, and people were. They, there was a. Um, it's not an official hunt, but there was a fox hunt in the area where they dragged the scent of a fox rather than an actual. Fox. Oh sure. Yeah. So it's a bunch of funny guys running around in red jackets through the woods. Right. Right. <laughs> How European of that. I yeah, know, right? I, I, so, <laughs> right there in central Illinois. I know, it's very charming. <laughs> so. so you ended up from there to London. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and then uh, to Minnesota. Yeah, I've been here for uh, since 2005. So it's coming up on, gosh, almost 15 years. Yeah. Almost the same amount of time that I lived in Illinois um, before I went to college. Um, so I've been thinking about that a little bit. You know, like, like, I, I lived in Illinois until I was about 18. I spent a year in Denmark as an exchange student, then went right to college. So 
this amount of time that I lived in Minnesota is about the same time as I lived in, in Illinois as a kid. So I've been weighing that, that experience about how connected I feel to both places now, what kind of experiences I've had in Minnesota as compared to Illinois. So it's been interesting. Yeah, so the uh, sort of the weight associated with uh, with the childhood, with your upbringing being a place, like it's a little bit weighted more heavily toward, well, that's what I ad- identify with. Sure. Uh, despite the fact that you, you know, you've put on almost as many years here now. Right. Does I it mean, feel that way or do you feel like you're becoming more and more connected to me? So. Yeah, I, I, I have always felt connected here surprisingly quickly uh, yeah. about moving here, um, having a life, having a career. You know, I've had some very formative experiences in Illinois, of course, being born, yeah. uh, going to school, growing up, um, you know, all those things that go into, you know, graduating from high school, learning how to drive. Like same small town straight through too. Well, I, up until I was ten years old, I lived in a place called um, St. Charles, Illinois, okay. which you know is just about five miles away um, to the uh, to the west. And St. Charles is very; it's much more like the other suburban areas or cities in the area: Geneva, Aurora, uh, Batavia, the ones. Um, it's grown, it's sprawled, it's got its big box stores. Wayne has done a lot to sort of really hold on to its. A 500 population. Right. It's bigger than that now, um, but it's really holding on. It's really trying to resist all of those things that are kind of encroaching, right. where St. Charles has really, really grown um, in terms of tourism, in terms of retail and stuff. So, Yeah, my, my small town I grew up in, uh, Elk River, oh. is a... Uh, you know, it was a small town when I was there. It's no longer. No, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. All of those things encroached, and there they are. It's a so. common refrain. I'm sure a lot of cities are like that. Yeah. Yep. A lot of the cities up north are like, I mean, so my parents went up to, moved up to Perm, Minnesota, which is oh. kind of like my yeah. hometown in some ways. But uh, when we started there, I mean, it was very rural. And, mm-hmm. and you know, it was still a Ben Franklin store yep. and, and a little movie shop. And now, of course, there's the Walmart, yep. you know, and, and everything else that goes with that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yep. Walmarts. Uh, I know it's the, it's the, it's the death of a lot of those smaller it businesses is. that are in some of those places. Right. It so is. Do you go back home very often? Yeah. Do you um, still have family? Yeah. My dad and his wife still live in St. Charles. Okay. Um, they, um, host Laura, my wife and I, um, we go down there to visit them for Thanksgiving. Uh, my parents uh, divorced when I just after I graduated from college, so my mother lives in Kansas City. So I drive down to see her once. I mean, she probably will say not enough per year. Sure, yeah. <laughs> but I'm down there at least once a year, and I see my dad and his wife at least once a year as well too. I, I think all moms say that. I think yep. that's part of being a mom. I know. <laughs> yep, it goes with you not calling enough or not visiting, and usually they're right. So yes. <laughs> Keep keep hear, complaining. Keep hear telling that, me that, Mom. Amber. <laughs> <laughs> but there's um there's when we do when Laura and I do go visit, um, there is a lot of connection to that town where I grew up. My parents or my dad and his wife still have a lot of friends over there, so there's sort of social circles kind of congregate in that area as well too. Sure. Their country club that they go to is over there, so they're oftentimes there for dinner. It's pretty damn stuff. flat out there, isn't it? It is, but it's it's kind of beautiful as yeah, well too. Right. Um, the Fox River kind of goes right through uh, St. Charles, Illinois, and south through Geneva, and then it goes all the way up towards um, into Wisconsin as well too. Um, but it's pretty flat. The Fox River Valley, as you drive through St. Charles, you go up and down. But yeah, a lot of corn, a lot yeah. of soy, yeah, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, rural um, rural things. 
Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I kind of find the beauty in it too. By the way, what's that? I, I find the beauty in it. Yes, too. I, I, oh. I do. I love. I love driving through farm country. I, I love never, hitting the open road. Yeah. yeah, I'm never bored. I mean, when people say Nebraska's boring or Kansas boring, I'm like, well, I, I just it's just easy for me to find the the, the interest in it. Yeah, you know? I mean, you, I've never seen so many sort of like uh, pig farms as through uh, Iowa, for example, or. You know, through Kansas City, there's a lot, there's a lot of beauty in the landscape yeah. when you're driving at 85 miles an hour. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so. um, Christopher, yeah. I also know. I, so you know, you're you're also an artist, yeah, photographer. That's right. So, um, what working, are you working on right now? I'm working on a state arts board grant as we speak. Oh, um, okay. I applied for one uh, and received one. I was very fortunate. Um, thank you, state arts board, uh, back in 2016. Mm-hmm. And I've been out of it for a couple of years, um, mostly to sort of follow through on what I said about that first uh, grant, and that's to kind of get my studio up and get some things in place. Um, but I've been researching um, a new grant that's due at the end of the month. Um, I'm getting my. Um, do you want me to talk about it, or should yeah. I just leave it? At no, no, no. I'm, yeah, I'm, 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 yeah. All right. Well, I um, this last weekend, uh, my wife and I, Laura, were driving through um, the Route Eight, uh, just north of here, on your way towards like Taylor's Falls, and I've been getting excited about barn quilts. Have you guys seen these? Speaking of driving through rural barn area, quilts, barn quilts. The the word isn't really accurate because you have these. They're sort of four by foot, five by foot, eight foot by eight foot squares are oftentimes mounted to businesses, to homes, and to barns. And the tradition started back in 2001 um, with this woman in, um, in Ohio. And since then, it's kind of really kicked up, and people have gotten a lot more interested in it as a way to sort of acknowledge quilting, but then also this sort of open space accessible art gallery that can kind of connect a community over five miles Hmm. Um, and oftentimes there's barn quilt trails that'll sort of show where these sites are located throughout you know in on route eight through chisago lindstrom into center city all the way to taylor's falls um that's a pretty drive too yeah so beautiful drive as well too are you saying that there's a quilt like a like a quilt quilt? it's a pattern of a quilt square that's Uh been painted onto mdf or mdo okay and then mounted to the outside of a barn or to a business or to a okay, home. Okay. Yeah. Well, I know the history. I mean, there's quilting history. Yeah. My grandma mm-hmm. made quilts, which mm-hmm. I still oh, have. I mean, yeah. my whole family's still quilting yeah. Yeah. all the time. Matter of yeah. fact, this morning I just picked up a quilt. Well, I, I guess you can't say it's a quilt. It's a blanket, but it was hand-sewn yeah. of uh, Amber's youngest son's uh, uh, jerseys. Oh, cool. You know, because he's graduating. But that tradition, that sort of like, you know, there's something about the you know, the tradition of a blanket, right. a quilt. Right. And then with the signs on the outsides of barns, there's even an older tradition uh, are called hex signs, and they come from Germany. And these are oftentimes done as, you know, pre-Christian um, signals that would sort of help basically pr- uh, bless an area. Uh, they would certify good luck. They would um, be there to sort of encourage fertility for the fields, uh, help just prosperness, prosper prosperity, I guess, yeah, prosperity, prosperity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. for the farm and for the people who live there. So there's this longer tradition, um, even before that, and those are oftentimes circles and a little bit more intricate. These are done in such a way that are more colorful. You can see them as you're driving by at 85 miles an hour. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but they're also there as a, a, a spur towards tourism. Uh, they're getting people to pay attention to commerce. You know, a lot of communities really want people to 
to slow down and to sort of have lunch, see what these folks are doing, right. but also celebrate their arts communities as well too. So if uh, if you drive by a business with a with a barn quilt on it, or or barn with a barn quilt on it, it, does that denote like there is art here that you could stop and see? Is that the point? Uh, that, in some cases, yes. In, in some cases, you know, uh, we saw a bank that had sort of like a nest of eggs on it. So it was sort of very tongue-in-cheek, on-the-nose reference to the um, the business that was there. Some of the barns, yeah, we stopped. I pulled out my camera, set up a tripod, took some photographs, and then we just drove on. Yep. So it's an individual thing. Um, there's not a lot of interpretive material, and that's kind of where my, my grant kind of comes in. Hmm. Um, but then that connects to the five or six, seven others that are just down the road as you are making your way through that part of town. You know, there's one and there's another um, community in Carver. There's another one up um, near Staples on Route 10 mm-hmm. on the way okay. up to Park Rapids. Yep. So, yeah. so when you say <clears> like it looking. connects, like so, do, I mean, you'll, once you see them, you'll start seeing. Them. Are, are the neighbors having a conversation then? Some too? people, like, yeah. I mean, a lot of times these begin with um, sort of uh, chamber of commerce folks uh, okay. because with their a lot of them begin with that idea of getting people to slow down take some time to notice these communities as you're driving through them. Um, and so they'll, and I, I think it's different per place that you talk to, um, and I'm just learning a little bit about, but there's usually an organizing group, and either there's an artist or a group of artists or people just make their own. And mm-hmm. so that becomes you know, a Facebook page, that becomes a website, that becomes a PDF or a map that you can print out and kind of use to navigate to these places. So it's no fascinating. Yeah. That's very fascinating. Yeah, yeah I did. Oh, not. it's a lot better than those uh, like cutouts of Sasquatch and the you know like Listen, the cowgirl and stuff. You like can, you can never the, beat a Sasquatch yeah. or a Bigfoot. So I, I, Come I mean, on. it's a you know I'm just saying. Or there's like, you know I mean other cities have done this too. I mean there's sort of like the um, there's the Peanuts characters over in St. Paul. You know in yeah. Chicago there yeah. were a bunch of bulls that they would have out. Different cities do different things. I like this because it's a little bit more abstract because yeah. these are really just, I mean, forget what they are sort of historically, but if you look at them as just abstract paintings, I mean, James, I mean, yeah, your paintings right. could make a great, um, a great uh, a barn, barn quilt. Barn yeah. quilt. Yeah. 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 So. yeah. <laughs> well, oh, it, it could, we could put a bunch of them together. And, That's right. You know, yeah. or just enlarge one of these to eight feet. Right. Yeah. It's out in the hall right now. I'm working on it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so this, this idea or this, these, these barn quilts have just sort of been stuck in my brain for a while. So, I've started to send some emails, started to reach out to a few folks who have organized these communities and really thought about what it would it be to document these um, sites, um, what it would be to, to take some photographs and portraits of the folks who've commissioned them, yep. um, and to sort of do a little bit of a project on sort of the overlap between that uh, narrative um, of history, of, of folk art, of commerce and tourism, and see how some of those kind of come together as a, as an essay or as a series. It is God. really interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah we don't we don't usually deal in uh, like sort of facts and truth and all mm-hmm. of that on here. You just you just gave us a real a real history lesson in something. Well, I had no idea. <laughs> I mean, I actually believe you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah. believe what you just told yeah, me. Yeah. Well, I, I think Ooh. once you start looking, once you start seeing them, you'll kind of start <laughs> to see those overlaps because. You know, as Laura and I were driving around, she was a great navigator, by the way. Um, you know, we saw a, a, um, a llama farm um, just north of Chisago, and it's this beautiful 
quilt that's in blues and reds and you can see it from a mile away. Yeah. But then when you're in town, they're connected more to the bank, like I mentioned. They're connected to, um, you know, a shoe store, for example, or a cafe. But because of their design, they're really easy to see from far away. Uh-huh. So I haven't seen a QR code barn quilt yet, but right. I'm waiting to right. see one because I think that was a great idea. Yeah. Um, especially if you get some colors and stuff. But the idea would be to sort of look really carefully at what these are throughout the state. Um, spend some time hearing about the inspiration for why these quilts, why these colors, why these designs. And then get some fort- uh, some portraits of the folks who have, you know, the artists who have made them or the people who have commissioned them. So. Well, I do a lot of driving around outstate Minnesota, and I really enjoy taking different routes yeah. each time. I mean, there there are a lot of really great small towns. There sure there. are. Yeah. And, you, you know, if you can... If you can afford the extra hour or so that it might take to get off the main freeway, which most of the time you can, if you actually think about it, you <laughs> right, know, like right. we, we don't, we like to drive by real, real fast on the freeway. But uh, yeah, if you can get out and see the towns, it's sure as fun. Mm-hmm. I usually get lost without my GPS. You know? Yeah. And then I find my way in the town. <laughs> <laughs> it's on the way to Park Rapids, right? Well, there's another community um, that's called the Barn Quilts of Central Minnesota that mm-hmm. I just, and this is all early research, but um, yes, on the way on Route 10, uh, Staples um, is sort of the center. But that that um, community of Barn Quilts, I think, covers two or three counties, like maybe even five cities. So it's pretty big. Right. Yeah. Some of these others are pretty small as they want to kind of emphasize that this is a community you know you're you're here these are the sort of the the folks who live here carver there's one in carver which i think is also um specific to that area there's right. one in um and a few others as well and uh hmm. you Scandia. had a show up in park rapids i did yeah, yeah. um a couple of years ago um i had an exhibition of my photographs uh, a series of work that i was making um i struggled uh, a few years ago with with sleeping I think a lot of people sometimes mm-hmm. struggle with that. I don't know how that happens. I remember this show. I remember yeah. having conversations about this, actually. And it was I was trying really hard to stick with something close to me because it's what I knew best, you know? I mean, I could I could be my own inspiration that whenever... So the, the exhibition was about my struggles with, with sleeping. Mm-hmm. Going to sleep, staying asleep, and getting the rest that I needed, like all of us need, right? So I took those moments where I wasn't sleeping um, and took those as moments as, as my studio time to really pull out the camera, get out the tripod, and really focus on the things that were either on my mind or were kind of keeping me awake. And I, I attribute a lot of that to technology, you know, um, of the, the yellow light that you, or the blue light that you receive from things like cell phones or computer screens or, or mobile devices does a trick on your circadian rhythms. And it keeps you from really going to sleep and staying asleep. And so I've tried really hard to, um, to not, to turn off the phone an hour before bed. I try, I emphasize try, right, um, right. which I know we all struggle with. But that, that sort of, um, that technology was something that I was attributing to uh, making it hard for me to, to, to feel refreshed. And I think nowadays with technology being 24 seven, I, I think we're going to get to a point where we're not really resting as much, you know, where that time where we're on or we're always receiving information is going to be more and more and more of our, of our sleeping time. You know, I don't think we're going to, I mean, of course we'll sleep, but I right. think 
that there will always be those moments where perhaps um, sleep is deteriorating. Yeah, you you and Sarah are into shows like Black Mirror and stuff. Oh, yeah. We're into that. We're also into tranquilizers. (laughs) Which helps. helps. um, We're both big fans of of substance to put us to sleep. Well, on that happy note, um, um, (laughs) let's let's take a little break. We're 30 minutes into it. It flew by, but... uh, We'll let's pick up let's where talk, we left off. Let, we'll pick up and we'll we'll get into some of the second half. We often uh, get into some of the more bizarre things that people are into. Sounds and good. Some of our fun. I so, got those. All right. Yeah. So, sounds good. Bye bye. Bye. Packing for a trip? Let Pack Simply give you a little help. By delivering travel-safe products directly to your door in an airport security-safe pouch. Unbelievably easy and surprisingly simple. Make your life easier. Visit PackSimply.com. All right, all right, all right. Need some help with a construction project? Looking for thoughtful design and honest answers about what is possible and what isn't? Kinetic Design Build is a full-service boutique remodeling service, residential and commercial clients in the Twin Cities. Design and build with a purpose. Visit kineticdesignbuild.com to request a consolation. God, I just like that. That one. All right, that one is definitely not going to be mine. That could be oh, my favorite. Want to go on a wilderness adventure with Sam? Or maybe know a group of kids who could benefit from a break from their electronics? Maybe you just need a break from the kids. Visit earthed.org for more information about how to get started. Brought to you by the Andalin app. Preserve your memories, prepare for the future, and share with those you love. Andalin... Ah, shit. Andolin, now available in the App Store and Google Play. Visit andolin.app for more information. Do you have an idea that you know deserves a digital solution? Finding a partner to help navigate the digital design and application building process can be daunting. Mobile Composer, in partnership with Kinetic Legacy, offers forward-thinking design built on a stable and adaptable compliance platform. Visit mcomposer.com or kineticlegacy.us to get started building the solutions of tomorrow. Enterprise or consumer together, Mobile Composer and Kinetic Legacy offer solutions that work in a language you can understand. Interested in art? James Holmberg... (sighs) Interested in art? James Holmberg is both an artist and an art consultant. (sighs) Let James guide you to an original work that will come alive in your home. Visit jamesholmberg.com to find out more. We're going. Welcome back. We're doing it. Great. All right. We're back. Yep. Back with uh, Christopher Atkins. Uh, man about town, artist, quilt lover. <laughs> Barn quilt. Barn quilt lover. I love it. I have obsessions. I, I sort yeah. of find myself with these things that I notice that are just like, wow, that, that can keep me busy for a couple months, a couple years of just kind of seeing it through, learning more about it. So, Well, yeah. you kind of, knowing you, I mean, you are interested in quite a bit 
of things, yeah. you know? Um, this, this, past, this past spring, I, um, I followed a passion that I haven't been able to pursue for a while, but I went turkey hunting earlier. Oh. Um, a couple, towards the end of April. Yeah. And I haven't been going for a while. I did a couple of years ago, but I just had an opportunity to do it um, for a couple of days, a couple of very early days um, at the end of March, or end of April. And it was... Yep fascinating it's so much fun i wasn't lucky um i i bow hunting or shotgun shotgun yeah um i i connected with a couple of, of, of toms i got them really close um but they didn't come in quite close enough so right. um that's why it's called hunting right yep you know that's why it's called fishing well so. i have uh i have turkey hunted bow turkey hunted the last uh I don't know, maybe three or four years. Oh, yeah. I, I still have yet to, yeah. to get one. Yeah. <laughs> have you so, shot the arrow? I have a couple of times, yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. I uh, clipped a few feathers yeah. one yeah. time. A little, a little poof of feathers. I mean, like, literally just the the ends of, like, five feathers fell off. <laughs> 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 yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, if I'm being fair about the hunting part of it, like, I, someday I'll get turkey and i hear uh mixed things about how good or not good they are Mm -hmm. um i think you know i i deer hunt and i fish and so i'm kind of used to i have the expectation that i'll enjoy the turkey whether it's all that great or not Mm -hmm. but uh to be fair i I could do this for years and years and not kill any and yeah. be totally fine with yeah. it too. It's just the, it's so interesting to get out that early in the morning yeah. and to hear them gobble and then they come strutting across the field. And so it's just really fun. Yeah. Yeah. And they say that, you know, turkeys are, are, I'm not sure if they're smart or if they have really good senses, but they have incredible eyesight. Yeah. They have incredible hearing. They say that if, um, if they could smell, you'd never see them. I mean, they just are, are so able to sort of, pick out where someone is uh, an off movement um, leaves or branches or trees that just don't look right that look like you or me sitting up against a tree and they're like I'm out of here I'm not going to go near that yeah so it's a they're a very tricky bird so the better you can call and that is you know make those sounds of a of a hen whether she's excited or whether she's purring or whether she's just trying to bring people back together the better because that's what gets the Tom's need to breed sort of uh, towards you, and then ultimately, so you can shoot it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, it's true. Yeah. And, uh, and are you hunting with friends then? No, I, I go by myself. Do you? Um, I, I think in that the way future. You don't get shot well, you know, I think you know, safety first is, is always the the um, the rule of the law when you're hunting either deer or, or turkey or everything else. But um, in turkey hunting, you know, you're you're there to sort of call one animal towards you. Some people do have another person that's there calling, and I think a lot of mentors will kind of help people mm-hmm. by calling and while the other person has their bow or their shotgun. But um, where I've done it so far is just on my own. I don't know mm-hmm. too many people yet that I can convince to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning uh, on, a, on a Wednesday and sit in the wood for six hours. But that's right. That, yeah. that, that guy. <laughs> Sam, oh, yeah. Sam, yeah, yeah. Sam is I mean, there. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I mean, he might not. Now that I know this. I might still be up at 3 a.m. That's what I was going to say. You, he <laughs> won't catch me on the you, tail end of a day. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm good. He won't we'll have go. any problem. He'll just be up at 3 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> He'll just, you know. Uh, I'll just text him, you up? And then, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Um, I've uh, been duck hunting a lot more recently. Oh. Uh, 
down by Hastings in, in on the Mississippi. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In the there's a bunch of islands down there, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, I have a really small boat. And there's there's some guys who come out. They've got big rigs, and and they put out a million decoys. And they're all. I have a small boat and twelve decoys, and I sit. And I, I love it. Mm-hmm. So if you're into that, I'll please do. Yeah. yeah, and that's and that's the thing that I've been learning is that, um, you know, hunting has a has a public relations issue with it. You know, and not only are kids not getting into hunting, but you know, there's a lot of um, people who uh, don't like guns. There's a lot of people who don't see hunters as as ethical harvesters of animals. They mm-hmm. sort of see them as going out in the woods and just kind of blasting away. Right. Um, so there are some people um, out there nowadays, you know, the Rough Grouse Society, Modern Carnivore, and a few other people who are really addressing some of this, you know, helping to sort of recruit and retain hunters, but then also helping people see hunting as as a harvesting of, you know, you don't have to just, you don't shoot a turkey and leave it, you know, you... You skin it, you gut it, yeah, no, you, you cook it, you eat it, you share it with your family, and you do it again. Yeah, we had hamburgers last night that my kids were like, is this hamburger or is this deer? And, you know, they're yeah. 10 and 12. That's great. No, it's venison. Yeah, oh, it's deer. Yeah. Oh, they love it. You yeah. Know? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've i written a little bit about this and, and talked a little bit about it in the past, but um, the, you know, for, for anyone who eats a hamburger at your at your local restaurant to not understand that when I go up to my brother's farm to harvest a couple of deer off of that farm with my family um it's a it's a big thing to kill a deer i i feel emotionally drained and and emotionally connected to the animals that i kill and and you know i i understand that that's you know for some that's controversial or something that you would even do that but uh, I know darn well that those deer lived from from their birth to the moment that I shot them, mm-hmm. the best lives in the in the most natural environment they could. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know that when I eat a hamburger that is a nameless, faceless hamburger at a restaurant, that I might not be able to say that about the animal that I'm eating there. So you know, I if your if your problem is that you just don't like the eating of animals. I understand. Mm-hmm. I, I get it. But if your problem is I don't like the eating of animals that weren't killed in a sort of, you know, farm environment or something like, well, let's let's talk about what this actually looks like. So, And I think attached to that, too, is the carbon footprint that got that hamburger to your plate is massive. The right. amount of water that it takes to feed yeah. the cow, the amount of meals that it takes, the methane gas that is released. You know, there's a yep. whole... There's a very, and I'm not speaking as an expert here, but there's a lot more to. Well, that's how, our that's our wheelhouse. Yeah, <laughs> not yeah. expert. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, just talk. <laughs> but there, if, the amount of energy that it takes to have that quarter pounder on your plate is substantial, yeah. and it's happening millions of times a day. And I know that that's having quite an effect on the environment. Now, that's very different for someone like yourself or myself who's going out to maybe harvest a deer or a turkey if we can get one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I know it's not for everybody, but I think that uh, ethical hunting, uh, done with reverence for for nature and a respect for nature, I mean, it, it's really fun to be out uh, watching the world wake up and to see animal. And I and I don't know. Aside from aside from getting a deer or two a year, like I don't really have very much 
desire I find as I get a little bit older to kill the things actually, mm-hmm. unless I know for sure that this is something I'm going to take and eat and, right. you know, but other than that, I, I just like watching them. Christopher, you yeah. mentioned um, kind of a social part of this too, because I know, and I've been invited over to your place, mm-hmm. you know, you have some really great cookouts and some of the smoking that you do. I mean, that's another thing that you're pretty passionate about, yeah. I, I believe, you know? Cooking's always been fun for me. I, I, I'm not sure if it's something I got from my father or my mother, but it's something that I've picked up over the past couple of years. Um, I haven't done a turkey yet, but when I do, I, I will find a creative way to do it. There's a lot of recipes out there nowadays from people who are starting to look at, um, at um, wild game and, and how it's cooked, and it's not just putting it in the crock pot and drowning it in, in wild mushroom soup. Oh anymore. yeah. Cream up mushroom soup. Like that's <laughs> you know? a classic. Yeah. I know. I know. But I think, <laughs> no, yeah. Right, you just right. described, uh, you well, know, you just described. 70% of the, of the venison and duck eaten in, in Minnesota. Right. I, I, I thought 70% of my life basically, <laughs> yeah. you know, there are other recipes out there, but, um, but yeah, I mean, you do a great job when I've been over, I mean, the things that you do, I mean, I think are, are, you know, that's another art. Yeah. That's another art form. I mean, you know, the, oh, the, yeah. the cooking care, the beauty, you know, the, the time. And that's the part that sticks to me with the most is that it's it's not fast cooking. You know, it's not like a wok where you get super hot and you just kind of throw things in there and cook it really quick. I, I like the, the endurance sport of it, you know, that it's a five or six hour thing that you're kind of paying attention to. You know, like a photographer, you're kind of making micro adjustments or mm-hmm. um, you're dialing a bit, something, dialing in. something in. Yeah, and it's yeah. fun to share with folks. You know, it we, is. I mean, the social part of it, it's yeah. it's wonderful. Yeah. And now that the weather's nice, yeah. God, now you make me want to go hunting. Um, <laughs> yeah, it makes me want to just be invited over. <laughs> we'll do it. Yeah. I haven't hunted in years, yeah. and I and I it's grew not up for everybody. Hunting, I get that. You know, but uh, over the course of years, it just started to you know fade a little bit for me. You mm-hmm. know. Um, I, I, oddly enough, like what I, one of the things I enjoy about it the most is just the immense amount of work that it takes to get my little boat into places no one else can get into and to get it. And, and I'd love to have company. Oftentimes I have to, I can't find anyone. So I just go alone. Yeah. Let me know. Uh, and then a few it's years a ago, I actually, all of a sudden. <laughs> I can <laughs> picture the two fest. of you <laughs> in your gear with your shotguns <laughs> and little Jimmy sick. just sitting at home. <laughs> no, me, me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just by myself. <laughs> we'll do a podcast on it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I started, uh, I started a few years back cooking, uh, my duck much more carefully, kind of treating it like you say, not in a crock pot. Um, but treating it as a uh, more delicate, and so I don't know. Just growing up in Minnesota, like you, you sort of think like it's got to be cooked hot or, or long and slow, so that it's just there's not a single thing living. <laughs> yeah, because somehow or other, this wild critter is going to make you sick. Right, you know. But uh, good old Bitman. Mark, Mark Pittman, how to cook everything. I love that cookbook. But uh, sort of helped me realize that I, I don't need to overcook my duck. And, he, and I can take it real carefully. So I make these elaborate sauces and, you know, finish it in the oven for a little bit after some searing and stuff. It's, I love it. It's good eating. Yep. It's changed the way I feel about duck. Because before that, I thought it was a little gnarled piece of meat at mm-hmm. the bottom of a crock pot that tasted a little like liver with cream of mushroom soup all over it so so i think i grew up 
with everything <laughs> overcooked. It yeah. wasn't until my adult life <laughs> that I ever tasted asparagus the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> same, with, same with same with me and meatloaf. I've yeah. had a lot of bad meatloaf before. Oh, before just yeah. cook the shit out of I everything. Know. That's depression era cooking. Or yeah, something. Well, that's exactly yeah. right. Get angry you know? at it. It's like I'm yeah, gonna just, cook you. I'm gonna cook I you mean, so hard. <laughs> when I was a little kid, I was like, no, no, not asparagus. And it was all stringy, and I'd be chewing on it. Eat your asparagus. It's good for you. And I'd be like, oh, this sucks. You know, the gag then, reflex. Yeah, yeah, but but then all of a sudden. And I had it when it was kind of crisp, and I was like, "This is asparagus. It's not, you know, yeah, this is the way it's supposed to be." Yeah, my, <laughs> you, you needed like a, an actual saw to get through my grandmother's hamburgers. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, and I just these completely black, round little pucks. Oh, uh, I would say that was the exact opposite, though, for me. Thanks, like my dad. Like it was, he liked, as bloody as yeah, possible. Yeah, he liked to see some blood in the burgers. You know, he'd be oh, like, yeah. "That's the sauce." You know, I'd be like, okay, yeah. which I still, you know, so well, yeah, yeah I love that. And I think what you're describing isn't, and sort of like what we're experiencing now, isn't necessarily any more difficult. I mean, I think it's just a different way of doing it. You yeah. know, it's like. I think with just a few adjustments to how it was done in the past, you can actually create something you really like. Yeah, yeah for sure. It becomes a palette for other things to add to it, and uh huh. Yeah, leave yeah. the leave the cream of mushroom soup in the cupboard. Yeah, God, yeah. Or maybe I mean, that, we yeah. used to go through so many cans. Of cream <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember soup. the last time I bought one, but yeah, I mean, like I think even when I graduated high school and went off to college, yeah. like oh, yeah. I got my first apartment. Yeah. Like, we got, I don't know, I got to buy 20, 30 cans of cream mushroom soup or something, that's, don't I? I need it that's there. That's the only thing I knew how to yeah. cook, <laughs> you know? I just I don't even know that yeah. I used it. I just felt like like you're just sort of reproducing it's not what you a meal know. without it. Yeah, yeah. So, you, so you're like, well, if I'm filling the cupboards, yeah. if you're going to make a grilled cheese, you might as well have some cream of mushroom <laughs> soup with it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a muscle, it's like a, a, a culinary muscle memory. Yes, so. yes. So, Christopher, <laughs> the other thing that I know that you're that you're into, obviously, is is beer. Yeah, I mean, you know a lot. Oh, he went right into that about yeah. beer. It's a it's a great time to be a beer drinker. I, I like to tell folks. I mean, especially in the Twin Cities, there's just you can't throw a rock without hitting one that's just opened or is about to open. Yeah, and um, I live in Northeast here, and there's a couple that are really close to me. Um, Thankfully, one one of my favorite ones uh, is just within bike riding distance of, of my place as well too. Which one's that? Fair State, Fair State, Fair State and Central. It's my mm-hmm. favorite. They do a great job. They're not too big, not too small. Great tap room. You know when they um, they've got a great selection of beers on tap all the time. There's new beer every Thursday. Beer festivals throughout the summer. Good stuff. I mean, could life get any better? I mean, I I can't as a kid <laughs> drink a beer. I mean, it just keeps getting better every day. I mean, especially in Northeast. Yeah. I mean, there are so many, uh, yeah, tap rooms that are opening up, and and I know you've thought about brewing a little bit, yeah. Own. And Sam, of course, has brewed. His Have own. you? So once again, oh. let me introduce introduce the two of you. <laughs> you know? I like to talk about it. Right. So I, uh, for a long time, I maintained that, that my family has what might be one of the nicest homebrew systems in the state. Is and I right? could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure we're right up there. Uh, and the, and the, it's, the reason for that is really our control center, which is a, uh, it's an all electric fired, all grain, Brew, brew system 
Uh, it's, uh, let's see, our pots are 25 gallon, I believe. Um, and I think we can do a double batch and get, uh, in our two fermenters, we can get, um, yeah, right around 40 or 50 gallons going at once or whatever. But anyway, uh, but it's got this, uh, very, we, we splurged on a control system for it. So the time and temperature is all very tightly controlled. So it's like a test batcher for a larger brewery. Cool. So, yep. It's uh, it, it's allowed us to very consistently produce really decent beer, good beer. I, I like the the sort of the combination of of science, including physics and, and chemistry, as well as creativity that goes into to beer making. I mean, yeah. There's a lot that goes into it, and you're seeing brewers nowadays kind of experiment with all kinds of adjuncts and things going into it. Some people are really pulling back some of these historical um, recipes about how brewer, how beer was made when German immigrants came here in the uh, 19, oh, I guess 17th, 18th century. Ooh, gosh, that sounds like a bad estimation, but anyway, okay. some of these early <laughs> well, uh, beer recipes, um, as well as looking to the future too. It's you know. So what are you brewing now? Uh, so this is all up at my father's place mm. and uh, I'm, I'm the system builder. So I did, you know, six months or a year's worth of research to figure out what we were going to build and how we were going to build it. Uh, my younger brother, Alex, uh, was in Iraq at the time through the Minnesota National Guard, and he gave me a kind of a pile of cash and said, here, let's build a system. Uh, and then my father and another friend of ours put some money and time in, too. So I'm more of the, I'm more of the system builder. Uh, my older brother is a uh, can he can plow through some books pretty quick. He's just got this ability to read a lot, so I'm a pretty smart guy. I, I give him a hard time all the time. But uh, anyway, he he kind of perfects recipes because he can read four books on a certain style of of beer, and uh, he went to Harvard for math, so he's got this ability to put to say, well, if, if we're trying to hit this recipe, but we really want a little bit more of this one and some of that, here's what we do and we put in, you know, because a, a lot of the differences, if you've got, if you've got 20 pounds of, of two row or whatever it is, the, the five ounces of a darkened malt is gonna change the outcome dramatically. So the, the things that change the flavor of the beer are in really small quantities. Mm. So you have to do some kind of careful calculations when you do those, and Chris does that. And then my dad brews. Wow. Yeah. And, and, he, and my I dad come does, over and taste. Yeah, yeah. That's what I do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah so. my dad's always uh, willing to you know kind of have someone come and help, help him for a day or, or use our system, and it's a lot of fun. Do you have uh, a recipe that you've got dialed in that you feel like you feel you've mastered? Several. Several. Okay. Yep. Uh, there's a Kolsch that's that's really good. Uh, there's a uh, it's a sweeter stout that we make that's that's really smooth, really good. Um, my older brother, there's a creme brulee stout that we finish with uh, with champagne yeast that bumps the the alcohol volume up pretty high and it takes like six months sitting there and it's delicious. That one always goes really fast. Uh, we do not make the world's best IPAs. Uh, I'm not sure why we make some, 
some very drinkable IPAs, but none of the sort of bigger, bolder ones. But wow. yeah. I can't wait to try one. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, well you guys, when you're done hunting, you guys <laughs> yeah. can go over to the still and figure, figure it out. That's my brother's de- next <laughs> desire is a still. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, Chris, what do you... So, I wanted to ask you, I, we, we got off the sleep area and your show up in, Oh, sure. <laughs> up there, but... Um, you know, do you want to do you want to kind of talk about that show at all? Or? Yeah, um, like I said, I um, I just took this thing that was happened to me to be the inspiration for these photographs. Yeah, um, I just feel like it it lent itself to be um, kind of uh, presented in that way. Yeah, um, it didn't need to be a story. It didn't need to be a poem. It didn't need to be it didn't need to be a movie or an article. I just felt like this could be a really great photo series. So, I followed it through. Um, I tried to be as broad as possible in terms of what sites I was photographing in, um, everything from hotels to staying at a, at a family home uh, on vacation to cabins in the woods. Um, mm-hmm. All to sort of think about this as, as broadly as possible. So, right. um, I didn't want it to be one-dimensional. I didn't want it to be the same photograph over and over and over again. Uh, sometimes when you see photographic shows, they're the same size, same dimensions. You know, everything's kind of lined up in like a, a bathtub ring around the gallery. Right. So I played with color and black and white, different sizes. So, um, so th- it became more after that. I added more photographs to it, but that's kind of the, where it started. Right. That was an interesting show. I went up there and saw that. And that was at, um, what is it called again now? The Nemeth? Nemeth Art Center in Art Park Center. Rapids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is sort of a historical uh preservation building yeah and when you go downstairs it's sort of uh, like a lot of um, city museums you know there's sort of uh, yearbooks there's varsity jackets there's um, sort of remnants of early industry that were in the city as, as well um, they even have a couple of um, sort of uh, historical rooms that they've kind of recreated like a schoolhouse so it's a real nice time capsule and then upstairs mm-hmm. on the second floor they have this series of galleries where they have exhibitions um, and because of the weather, I think they only have shows sort of the spring through early fall. Right. They close up in the wintertime. It's just a little bit too cold. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I mean, the, it gets the, cold up there. As, oh, you, as you were leaning into that, I was thinking, like, people are going to think we live in Alaska. I know. <laughs> you know like, which, like, you can't make it up to Park Rapids in the winter? Like, well, you know, I know. Not if the roads I know. Are, it's really not very roads pleasant. Roads are icy. <laughs> I say it as if, like... It's, it's pretty ugly. It, it is pretty be. ugly. It's I, nice. I love winter, and I love... You know, I love the ice fishing. I love the, the things. But, man, to, to drive somewhere to see something in the mm-hmm. middle of winter in Minnesota, it's a little, little rough. But that's what makes, you know, it, it's interesting to me, like this venue that's that's in this small town and, and some of the things that you're even talking about, like, you know, um, you know, traveling outside of Minneapolis and kind of looking at, you know, what what's happening, you know, around and sort of like folk you know, that, that, that's very reminiscent of folk art, you know, the uh, quilted barns. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of emphasis on the, and, and deservedly so, the, the creative community and what's being made and produced here in the Twin Cities and even sort of those first ring suburbs as well, too. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot happening um, outside of those areas as well. You know, um, you know Park Rapids is an example, St. Cloud, you know, there's all sorts of the um, Winona that are sort of these smaller cities, but still do have quite a bit of creativity and creative people there. Yeah, I think I think much of outstate Minnesota does. I mean, it, you, you, the arts have permeated this state from the get-go. I mean, 
corner to corner. Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. And I think there's also a lot, not just being made there, but also a lot to pull out of there and to be inspired by as well from, from what people might see outside the Twin Cities. So. Well, there's just the one city, isn't there? Just, yeah, just, just, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> just kidding. I won't go down that path. Every once in a while, we'll uh, I love Saint doing Paul. that. I love yeah, that, yeah. That, that joke's good. One of the first it, times good one. <laughs> when my wife and I first started dating, um, we I would always make fun of St. Paul. I would always make fun. It's, I always used to say it's like going back 10 years in time when you go to St. Paul. It, yeah, it's it is, always though. like 10 years ago. <laughs> you know, the, 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 cross, the, the crosswalk signs are a little smaller. You know? uh-huh. So I was always giving her grief about it because she was from, um, she's from Falcon Heights. So we were born and raised and grew up really close to the state fair. So she goes, all right, what I'm going to do is I'm going to plan a 24-hour date where you and I are going to go see how cool St. Paul is. Yeah. So I found an Airbnb. Uh, and she took me to uh, Hmong Village. We went to the caves uh, and saw, you know, sort of the prohibition story there. Yeah. Uh, we went to a couple different restaurants in town. We stayed at an Airbnb um, with a couple who have since become great friends um, and went out to dinner and went out to see a gig over at the Amsterdam and had a great time. You know, uh, we yeah, had it turns out it's a nice city. Turns out it's a nice city. <laughs> right. And you can, <laughs> I, and you can really get around because no one's there. Yeah, right? I know. Because yeah. you, could, you could fire a cannonball down uh, <laughs> Robert Street at 5 o'clock at night. You could go bowling <laughs> in, go in the street. <laughs> <laughs> it's, so they roll up the sidewalks at like 8 o'clock in St. Paul. <laughs> <laughs> so dumb. I know. <laughs> uh, so uh, what else do you do for fun around here? Gosh, I've been doing a lot of reading lately. Um, I said sh- fun. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. That's well, right. he's already doing the beer hunting, yeah. photography. Beer hunting, I like that. Beer, beer hunting. Um, I've been doing a lot of reading lately. I've been um, picking up some podcasts in town as well, too. Mm. Getting back into some fiction. Um, I read this book called Lanny the other day that's published by Grey Wolf Press here in St. Paul, okay. or in Minneapolis, who used to be in St. Paul. <laughs> So just kind of, you know, um, working that muscle a little bit of getting back into fiction, seeing how people are creating a story, um, getting lost in a narrative for a little bit as well, too. So Yeah, it's always fun. I know. Especially when the weather's nice, you can kind of sit outside in the backyard. Yeah. So just enjoy it. Absolutely. While you're barbecuing. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, enjoy your four, four or five days here. We got a decent weather this summer. Sam's <laughs> brew. <laughs> It'll be too hot soon. We'll all be complaining. So, so I always love to ask. I mean, what? So, as a curator, you know, what do you what do you think the vibe is here in the Twin Cities, the art scene? Mm, yeah, good question. And, and I, that's a loaded question. <laughs> totally. and it's super subjective. It sucks. Of the art course, scene sucks. You know? I don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's doing everything wrong. Yeah. No, I don't think it does. Well, I don't want to answer. Um, I think it's. Um, are you are you asking about what's the state of the arts and? I don't know what oh, I'm asking okay. exactly. You know, I, I personally I think. Well, I think it's there is a vibrant art scene. I yeah. mean, there's a lot of artists here in the Twin Cities. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of buildings that house you know um, artists, crafts people, you mm-hmm. know, artisans. You know, mm-hmm. I think that there's a lot. You know, it's just an interesting time. I think right now, right. Um, you know, especially in Northeast, right? In right. some ways, well. In some ways, a lot of artists are, I think, going to be decentralized. Getting the boot. Yeah, What's from that? Northeast. Well, I think that some of the buildings are being bought up. Oh, yes. I've you heard. Know, I've I, heard. I heard um, I've heard rumors. What is it? Is it the Thorpe Building? What's North, the one? North, Northrop King? Northrop King, yeah. yeah. It just got purchased. So, Which is sort of Art of World, Art Attack Central, Ground Zero, right? It, it's where yeah. a lot of those began. Yeah. 
Um, you know, we're kind of coming on the heels of uh, Art of World just a couple of weeks ago, right? Yeah. Wasn't it just mm-hmm. um, early or late May, early June? Yeah. I, I've stopped going to those events. I, I just feel like it's it's just such a, a mess of people and humanity that um, the introvert in me just kind of like wants to stay away from it. Right. <clears throat> I think it's gone through some changes and, and it's not always... Um, uh, some of them are good changes, and some of them are—I don't know who's who necessarily whose fault it is, or, or what to attribute it to. Sure. Um, I think the folks like yourself, James, who saw it from the beginning, yeah. um, will notice that it's changed quite a bit, and not necessarily for the good. Right. Um, I'm of the mind that the idea that we're this arts community and we're all in it together isn't going to last. I think this is kind of what happens to those communities. It just kind of falls away as people find nothing stays the same nothing stays the same right i think as people start to become more savvy and use things like social media or just strike out on their own they're bound to be more successful i think um things like art of world and art attack just there's a lot of mediocrity there that can hide a lot of the things that are really standouts um I think there's some really great work that I think doesn't need things like that. It doesn't need that sort of sort of zombie passive crawl through those those areas to really show what they're doing. Right. I think a lot of people would benefit from not doing that. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. and most of the people who are successful don't really necessarily do that. But there's all different kinds of levels. I mean, I I guess what I'm interested in is going to be very different than other folks. Mm-hmm. But. Um, I think where we're witnessing now is to what degree are those kinds of things. I think St. Paul is going through the same thing. Like the St. Paul uh, arts community is also struggling to see, well, are we a group? Are we this sort of arts district in this certain level or this certain perimeter? Or are we just a bunch of artists who happen to operate the same area? Right. And some of those buildings that they're in are also going through different changes of closing and being sold and being turned into condos as well, too. Yeah. but, you know, if you look around, there are some smaller groups and some people who have kind of come together as a couple of studios, eight, ten, that all have a similar interest. And they're doing pretty well. They can kind of keep themselves going yeah, that's rather kinda... than this sort of blanket organization that asks for fees and puts you in a book that no one reads, really. And, you know, <laughs> I, I just don't see that how that's going to continue to be profitable. Right. Right. Yeah. I do. I do agree. I do see. Um, and that's what's interesting about this town is that there are, you know, smaller than, gr- you know, groups of artists that kind of band together and yeah. do things and and sort of make it organic in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's just so many. There's just so much going on. But mm-hmm. yeah, w- once one of these buildings, like you know, Northrop King, who has, you know, I, what is there, a hundred and some studios in a that lot. building? It's. it's it, I think it's uh, four floors, but I think only three of them. No, maybe it's five floors and only four of them have studios on it. So I think there's room to grow or to expand, but it sounds like the current owners want to sell. Yeah, they want to, you know, monetize that that land, basically. It's a lot to manage. I'm sure it's probably a headache. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I can imagine the ice dams that must be on that place. (laughs) It's a big building. (laughs) It's gigantic. The shoveling and just driving into there that it's like... A minefield of just like potholes, just getting oh, into yeah. that area. Just, yeah. Has it been paved over? I I don't think so. It's a it's a combination. Kind of the but roof. I mean, just yeah. just maintaining right. a roof in a building like that. But we've we've looked at. I mean, so we're in the Grain Belt Bottling House, mm-hmm. the historical Grain Belt Bottling House, and across the street, over in 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 basically two summers now, we've got you know the growth of the city is just so 
on fire, sort of, especially Northeast. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of transformation here going on. But as a curator, I guess, you know, you know, you know, I think there's a lot, you know, I, I know you as picking a lot of folks, you know, here in the Twin Cities, you know, and there's a really diverse group of people and yeah. interesting work. I think people are um, looking very broadly in terms of what kind of work they're making nowadays. You know, I always think it's exciting to pay attention to um, to the graduating class of some of the art colleges in town because sometimes there's this interest in technology or in art making that um, I haven't thought of or I haven't come across quite yet. You know, there's a lot of people who are just doing a lot of navel-gazing as well, too, and they haven't really, you know, been out for a while, and so they're still thinking through things. But there's always a, a couple of things that are happening in, in those areas that are always a, a little sign of, like, oh, it's, there's something to pay attention to. Right. Specifically how someone might combine photography and media, for example, or painting and photography or something. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of energy in, in, in young graduates that... Some folks who have been around for a while find it, you know, kind of hard to muster sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Like me. <laughs> Myself included. Myself included. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's, uh, it's not as if you ever believed that making art and making a living from art was going to be easy, though, right? I mean, you, no. you kind of knew that. Well, I think at one point when I was younger, I, did, I was delusional a little bit. I think you're still a little delusional. Uh, well, look what we have, look what we're going. <laughs> All right, you two. We are uh, we have managed another thirty some minutes. So, I think right. this would be a good time for us to thank Chris for coming in. Christopher, is there anything you'd like to promote? Yeah, on we, your way we do. Out? How about a web? site yeah. right some sort so of people plug. can find you yeah um so people find can, your art people can find me on my um on my uh website at christopher j christopher atkins is the uh actor who was starred in blue lagoon with brooke shields so uh, yes. that's not me yes <laughs> i know that's because curly uh, haired blonde kid um, right i have little hair um so that you'll you'll notice it's not me yeah i uh i, I know this because uh kate westfall who works with us here uh when she was scheduling mm-hmm. she said was he in the blue lagoon <laughs> <laughs> no different guy different not dude. me <laughs> so christopher j atkins.com and then you can find me on instagram at eyes ears e-y-e-s e-a-r-s all right there you go yeah and thanks for having me thanks for coming well, in, of course it's been thanks. fun you can come back Sometime Any time with with a beer <laughs> sounds good and a turkey <laughs> to smoke turkey and a beer. <laughs> okay, all right. Thanks. Bye. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. We love comments and feedback, so go ahead and let us have it. If you'd like to learn more about Andalin and other legacy projects, visit the website at andalin.app or kineticlegacy.us. Take care.